Morning, everybody. Uh, this morning we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a zealot. In regard to the law, sorry, in regard to, oh, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Thanks, Trevor. Well, uh, as Steve said earlier, we're working through our survey series uh, at the moment. At the end of every year, we ask a question to our friends, the people that we meet. And the question we asked last year was, how would you fix the world? And we've been looking at a number of different responses that people gave to that question. So people said, we need to fix society. Last week, we looked at fixing people. And this week, we're thinking about fixing religion. Uh, maybe you're here today and you're thinking about that question, you're you recognise that there's issues in religion. Maybe you uh, have been a Christian for a very long time, uh, and but you have friends who are asking this kind of question or giving this kind of answer. Uh, as we look at God's Word together today, the, the hope is that we can come to understand it either for ourselves or so that we can explain to those around us uh, the kind of answers that the Bible gives to this really pressing question, how would you fix the world? So let's pray. Let's ask God to give us understanding and uh, then we'll work through that passage that Trevor read. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we live in a broken world and all of us can see that. Uh, whether it's uh, Vladimir Putin and his Russian forces on the edge of Ukraine. Uh, Lord, whether it's COVID uh, causing the uh, troubles in our own world, in our own society, or uh, stopping travel around the world. Uh, Lord, whether it's our own personal sickness or the uh, troubles of our own lives. Lord, we live in a broken world and we don't know how to fix it. And Lord, we just pray that as we reflect this morning on uh, your answers to these problems, to this problem, we ask that you would help us to see the world ourselves from your perspective. Uh, help us to understand things as you understand them. Uh, help us to see your grace and to find your mercy in Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, Richard Dawkins uh, is not a fan of a religion in general or of Christianity in particular, but uh, he once wrote this. You might have heard this. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Uh, in other words, in the view of uh, Richard Dawkins, Christianity and presumably Judaism as well has a lot to answer for. Uh, uh, if the God of the Old Testament is the agent of many of the worst crimes in history, as that quote tends to suggest, then so, one would assume, are Christians and Jewish people responsible for some of the worst crimes uh, in the world. If they, we claim to follow him, if uh, Jews claim to follow uh, that God of the Old Testament, uh, and he's responsible for those crimes, then presumably we are too. Uh, Richard Dawkins lays at God's door ethnic cleansing, the ill-treatment of women, homophobia, racism, genocide, and so on. And, and they're the kinds of crimes, if you like, that many people would consider, most people would consider, if you like, crimes against humanity. Another atheist, Christopher Hitchens, titled one of his books, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything view is that religion is one of the key sources of trouble in our world. Likewise, religion, said Karl Marx, is the opium of the masses. By that he meant that religion keeps people enslaved, it keeps them from rising up against the people who oppress them, it keeps them doped out to the world and so unresponsive and, um, and, and complacent in their situation. For Marx and his followers, religion was one of the great evils of the world. It was for that reason that Stalin and in other communist countries, for that reason that the leaders sought to exterminate religion from their societies because they saw it as one of the great evils of the world. We see presently in China the attempt to destroy the Uyghur Muslim religious minority. Those... Uh, People have been declared by the Chinese state uh, to be dangerous terrorists and are being kept in camps. Camps much like the Nazis used during the Second World War. 
Significantly less severe but still present in China is also the attempt by the government to constrain Christianity. Christians aren't being put in camps, uh, generally like those Uyghur Muslim people, but the government is trying to constrain Christianity. India too, you might know, is cracking down on religious minorities. At the end of last year, the Indian government even cut off funding to uh, Mother Teresa's religious charity. You'd think if there was one thing that you would let money go to, it would be something like that. Uh, But they cut off the money. But unlike Marx and Stalin and China, which were driven by atheism to destroy religion, India is presently being driven by religion to curtail religion. Now, even if many of us might not be as blunt as Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens or Karl Marx, and even if many people in our society may not want to see the destruction of religion altogether, it's not hard for most of us to see that there's at least some merit in the criticism that religion is the cause of many problems in the world. There's some merit at least in that argument. Many of us have lived through Al-Qaeda and ISIS and the terrorism that's come as a result of them. We can remember maybe September 11 or the Bali bombings or the London bombings or the attacks in France or in Germany and other places around the world. All of those were religiously motivated attacks. Does religion then need to be fixed? Well, certainly some of the people that we asked, as we asked, how would you fix the world, a number of people certainly identified fixing religion as one of the ways or one of the things that needs to be addressed in order for the world to be fixed. Some people who gave that answer had even themselves come from countries where they had been persecuted as a religious minority. So if religion is broken, how can it be fixed? And that's what we want to think about today. And we want to look at what the Bible has to say about fixing religion, which might seem like a strange thing to do. It might seem strange to look at the religious text to ask the question, how do you fix religion? But what's really surprising is that the Bible typically has a very negative view of religion as well. It too sees an enormous problem in much of religion and it sees a need for that to be addressed. The Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, is full of criticism of all kinds of religious systems and especially criticism of the religion of God's own people. So here's one example from the Old Testament. God says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. Here are people who are deeply religious. They seem to be doing all the ceremonies and all the uh, religious rituals, but God says, I hate it, get rid of it. Shut up the church. Go somewhere else. I don't care. I don't care for what you're doing. Jesus, too, is full of criticism for the religious leaders of his day. Check out these words from Jesus. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You uh, shut the the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So the Bible, Jesus himself, agrees with this idea that there's a huge problem in religion. So what's the answer? Well, that's what we want to think about today. And we're going to do that by looking at those words that Trevor read for us a moment ago. They're the words written by a man who is actually deeply religious. He was one of those people that Jesus criticised, the kind of person that Jesus criticised in those words that we just read. He was a religious leader. He was at the forefront of religion in his day. Until, that is, he met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, on the road uh, to a place called Damascus, and that turned his life upside down. He completely abandoned the religious system that he had embraced, and that's what he's talking about in this passage that we're looking at this morning. So he's writing, this guy Paul is writing to some of the early Christians to warn them about the religious leaders that are floating around in their world. Uh, These religious leaders are trying to win them over to his this religious system that he had been part of before, that Paul had been part of. And he begins with some pretty devastating words. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Here are these people, they're they're claiming to be great religious leaders, but they're actually dogs, they're they're workers of evil, uh, and they're people who mutilate uh, others. These are hardcore religious leaders. Uh, The thing that they were insisting in particular was that if people wanted to be followers of God, if they wanted to be Christians, then all the men in the household had to be circumcised, which is a pretty serious commitment uh, to make uh, as a religious commitment. But Paul says, while these people think they're in a good place with God, they're not. He goes on to explain then how that is. He says that he had their same kind of religious uh, zeal before he came to know Jesus. He says in verse 4, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So whatever these religious fanatics are saying about their credentials and the reasons that they have to be safe with God, whatever they think, Paul says, I've gone so much further than them in being absolutely committed uh, to religious pursuits. And he goes on and lists the kinds of things he's done. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in, the, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He was Paul, the hardline religious zealot, and he was committed to the big religious activities. He was ethnically the right sort of person. It's amazing how often that gets tied up with religion as well, isn't it? The right kind of ethnic person. It sounds more like the Nazi party, maybe, than someone who's serving God. So, too, he was completely obsessed with doing the right thing. He was the kind of guy, maybe, who never cheated on his taxes. He never turned up late for work. He never took a sickie. He was putting in heaps of effort to doing the right thing. He was so zealous, in fact, that he was persecuting uh, the church. He was persecuting Christians, putting them to death. 
He was engaged in a kind of state-sponsored religious terrorism. He picked, Paul ticked all the boxes of this hardline religious commitment. He was devoted, he was committed, but then he realises that it's all, it was all rubbish. It was all empty. It was all a waste of time. He says in verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, and all those things I did, whatever were gains to me, I now consider those lost for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. The language there is pretty strong. Paul says that his religion was literally excrement, it was, it was poo, it was disgusting, it was useless. Imagine that you uh, walked into somebody's house and hanging on the wall in a picture frame, they had, they had framed up a beautiful cow pat. They'd gone out into the paddock, they'd gathered up the cow pat, they'd put it in a frame and they hung it on the wall. And the moment that you step into their house, they say, welcome to my house. I've got, I've got to show you my most precious possession. Look at that. What do you make of that? And you're standing there and you're thinking, what is going on? It's their pride and joy, you know, and they think that this, that this framed cow pat is, is worth millions of dollars, but actually... It's just a poo in a frame hanging on the wall. Paul says that is what his religion was like. Here it was. He thought it was just fantastic. The best thing in the world. And yet it was nothing. It was worthless. It was useless. It was disgusting. Uh, elsewhere, in another letter to an early Christian community, he writes not just about his own religious pursuits, but he writes about the religious pursuits of all people. He says this to some people who become Christians from other religions. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it? that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces. That's how, how is it that you're turning back to those things under your old religious system? Do you want to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Paul likens the religious pursuits of these people their former religious pursuits, to a kind of slavery. They'd been tied up in the Greek and the Roman religion. They'd been diligent in it, but he says that those things were weak and miserable. Like his religious practices, they didn't achieve anything. Why was it rubbish, these practices and the other ones that Paul himself had followed... It was rubbish because those things didn't get the people anywhere. It doesn't actually achieve anything. It's empty. So again, in another place, uh, Paul says to another Christian community, he says, 
this. These are the kinds of principles that they have. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Right? He says, those rules which have to do with, with things that are destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, they have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Here are all these rules. This is what you need to do. Uh, they look like they have great wisdom, but Paul says they don't, they don't do anything. They don't achieve anything. Why is religion useless? It's useless because it doesn't actually get you anywhere. It's like being in one of those dreams where you're just kind of running, but you don't seem to be getting away. It's the same with religion. It's just a bunch of rules, but the rules don't change us. We saw last week when we looked at uh, fixing the world by trying to fix people, we saw that you can't fix people by what goes into them, by constraining and, and protecting all the things that a person absorbs. It doesn't work. The problem is within us. We still hurt each other. We still destroy the environment. We still turn our backs against the God who loves us and who made us. So too, we can do all the religious things. We can do all the little religious festivals. We can turn up at church. But that isn't going to change us or anyone else. You know, for example, you could go and light a candle. There are, there are churches or religions where you can go to the church or the temple and you can light a candle. And people do that in the hope of somehow being transformed. But do you really think that lighting a candle is going to change your life? You can have a special religious holiday. You can take Easter off. You can take Christmas off. You can do special things. You can have a, a pageant. Do you really think that that's going to fix people or fix the world? You can read, read religious texts. You can even read the Bible. Do you really think on its own that's going to fix you? Paul says those things were the jewels in his crown, but it turns out they were just a cow poo framed on the lounge room wall. They were useless and empty. They were disgusting. And maybe like Paul, you're that kind of deeply religious person. You're trying to tick all the boxes uh, that you've made or someone else has made for you to do, you're trying to make the grades, you're trying to keep the special days, the special festivals, pray the right prayers, keep all the right rules, do the right thing because you're hoping to make God happy, hoping to live a good life. Paul says it, it doesn't matter. Maybe you know people like that who are trying to live in that way. God wants us to know that's rubbish. Or maybe you're not really religious at all, but that's your perception of what Christianity is. Maybe your perception of Christianity is that that is what it's about. It's a bunch of things that you need to tick off in order to be right with God. Pray the right prayers, read the right book, go to the right places, do the right things. All good with God. Paul says rubbish. It's a waste of time. God doesn't want it. He hates it. It's useless. It's empty. So what's the alternative to broken and empty religion? 
Well, the answer that Paul gives, that the Bible gives in this passage, is not rules. It's not what people would normally think of as religion. The answer that God gives is God himself. Paul says that he considers everything rubbish, but that's only the first half. He considers everything rubbish for what purpose? In order that I might gain Christ, he says. Between verse 7 and verse 14, he refers to Jesus nine times. He says, this is what I want. He counts everything as rubbish for the sake of Jesus. He now knows the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. He wants to gain Jesus, to be found in Jesus, not having his own righteousness, his own right standing with God, but Jesus' righteousness. He wants to know Jesus, the power of Jesus' resurrection, to share in Jesus' suffering, to become like Jesus in his death so that he might somehow share in his resurrection. His goal shifts from what he needs to do, his goal shifts to that, to pursuing the person and the work of Jesus Christ. According to the Bible, religion is empty because everything we need is not in what we do, but it's found in a person, and that person is Jesus. It's only when you see what God has achieved in him that really the emptiness of all those other religious systems becomes amazingly clear. Jesus has died and risen to life again. He's lived a perfect light, life and he's ascended into the very presence of God. Now, how many people do you know who've turned up to the temple or to the church and lit a candle and been raised to life again? Or how many people in the middle of their religious festival have keeled over and died and then spontaneously be been raised to life again because they were at the festival? How many people in the middle of reading their Bible have had a massive heart attack and then come to life again because they were reading the Bible? When we see what God has done in Jesus, the emptiness of man-made religion is so utterly apparent. Those rules like don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. No matter, how, no matter how much you focus on trying to do those things, they won't get you out of a coffin in the ground and back to life again. Paul had been obsessed with doing those things. He calls it he was a, his obsession with pursuing his own righteousness. But it didn't get him anywhere and it sure didn't get him resurrection from the dead. You cannot make yourself immortal by being devoutly religious. Jesus has done all that needs to be done. He's the eternal Son of God. He was with the Father from eternity past. He's entered into our world. He's taken our humanity on himself. He's lived the perfect life of love and obedience to his Father, the life that we could never live. He's condemned our sins in his own death. He's taken God's judgment for our rebellion against God and he's conquered death in his resurrection from the dead. Religion cannot, will not ever achieve any of those things. 
The only way that we can receive any of those things is by grabbing hold of, by faith, the person of Jesus Christ. He's done it. We need to receive him. Like Paul, we need to look to what Jesus has done rather than what we have to do. So people often say, the message of religion is do. The message of Christianity is done. God's done it. There's nothing that we need to do. So imagine for a moment that God offers to give you a planet. It's a strange gift, but just imagine for a moment that he offers to give you your own planet. Perhaps you've been looking for a larger block. Well, God comes and offers a planet. uh, And he's going to make it. He's going to give it to you. uh, And all you have to do is to receive this gift. It's come, you know, the, the offers come in the mail. All you have to do is receive it. Imagine then that you suddenly decide that you don't really want God's planet, uh, that you'd like to build a planet for yourself. And so you start gathering the materials and just sort of gluing them together. You know, slowly over time, work on it for a few years. You know, it's not going to work, is it? You, You can't build a planet. You and I cannot build planets. And in the same way, we can't do what is required to get ourselves right with God, to get ourselves alive from the dead. God instead has offered to give that to us and we, all we can do is to receive it from him. We can think to ourselves, oh, well, I can probably do that for myself, but it's just as realistic as building another planet for the solar system. So you and I have this choice that God sets before us. We can build or we can receive. We can build our own God, our own salvation, our own attempt to get things right with the world, ourselves and God. We can build, try and build those things ourselves and not get anywhere because it's It's a project that is beyond our power. We can build ourselves or we can receive what God offers. We can come to God through Jesus and say, Lord, no religion will get us what you've offered us. No work that I do myself will get us what you've offered us. We come to God and say, Lord, you've done it in Jesus. He's done what we couldn't do. Religion is broken because it's powerless and religion can't be fixed. But God has done what needs to be done in Jesus and all we have to do is to receive it. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we we want to acknowledge uh, that all of us are deeply religious people in the sense that we want to fix things up. We want to fix ourselves up. We want to fix our world up. And Lord, we invent ways for ourselves and others that we think that we can do that. We invent rituals and uh, things that need to be learned and studied. But Lord, none of those things are able to change the heart of a person.
Certainly none of them, Lord, are able to change the hearts of every person on the planet. And none are able to raise us from death to life again. But Lord, all that we strive for in our own power, you've done in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd help us to recognise that and to give up all our attempts to solve our problems and help us to find the solution in Jesus. And, Lord, uh, there are many around us who are facing uh, that same issue, who, who are seeking to solve their problems and the world's problems through their own effort, through their own religions. Lord, we pray that you would help us to speak these words of truth, help to show the world around us the emptiness of all our efforts, uh, but the completeness and the finished work that you have done in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen.